0: A significant life involves partnering with the right people. This message is the third in the series, 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. The message is entitled, Partner with the Right People. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we're about to enter into fall, right? It's starting to feel a little bit like fall out there. So it's a great season of the year, a great season for us to be together studying God's Word in this series entitled 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance, 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. As I mentioned for several weeks now, as so we've just started, actually a couple of weeks, this is our third week into the series, uh, we're talking about a very, very important word. How do you have a life that really has meaning, that has the word we're using is significance? It's been said that many people will live life on one of three levels. They will live life on the basis of survival, sort of making it day by day and hoping they can sort of get through the next 24 hours, and sometimes that's what life is. You live that way, and you barely survive through, and you're glad that you make it through, and that's a wonderful thing to survive. And then some folks find it to the place of success, have a little margin in their life, and things get to be a little bit easier for them, and that's not a bad place to be either. But the highest form of living is something called success, something called significance. Because you can be successful and still not be significant because there's a really big difference in those two words. To be successful really describes things that are happening to you. You're experiencing success. But significance is a word that describes things that happen through you to the world around you. You know that your life is beginning to take on significance when you're really not living for your success anymore, you're living for the blessing of other people, and you're living for the advance of God's kingdom. What we're called in Scripture to pursue is a life of significance. And while we could study lots of different people in the Bible that really lived lives of significance, we're focusing our attention in this series on one of the great characters of the Old Testament. Uh, most of you are at least somewhat familiar with him. His name was King David. And we're looking at his life, a great life, an amazing life. Yes, ups and downs, a lot of, of the good, bad, and the ugly in David's life. But there's a lot of wonderful lessons that we learn from his life, many things that we could talk about. But we're only going to look at 10 of them. Today I'm going to talk to you about the importance If you're going to have a life of significance, the importance of partnering in your life with the right kind of people. I'm going to share with you three things I think are essential when it comes to relationships in your life, especially friendships, especially the partnering with the right people as you go through life. The first thing I want to remind you of today, and I've said it before, but I want to say it again this morning, is the real principle, the recognition that your future is actually determined in large degree by your friends. I think one of the most overlooked principles uh, in life is the principle of of friendship. Because far more than you and I can imagine, your choice in friends is actually critical to your future. To have the right future, you need the right friends. I want you to say with me together this morning, to have the right future, I must have the right friends. Let's say it again. To have the right future, I must have the right must have the right what? Friends. You can't build a significant life without choosing your friends wisely. Now, before I talk about the wisdom of choosing friends, I want to give you a little warning here, a little bit of a perspective when it comes to human relationships. The the best friendship that you'll ever have in life is your friendship with God, and I'll come back and talk about that in a moment. And the reason that friendship with God is so important is because human friendships, the best human friendships, will never meet your deepest needs. You have the greatest friends in the world, but there's something in your heart that's called a God-shaped hole in your heart, and only God can fill that part of your heart. And so you can have a whole bunch of really good friends and still feel empty on the inside. There are a lot of people who try to fill up their lives with friends, and they're still wondering, why do I feel empty? It's because they're missing God. And so uh, no friend can take the place of God as the primary friend in your life. And the best friendships are imperfect. Friends will fail you. You don't need to raise your hand on this one, but any of you have ever had a friend that failed you? The best human friendships have mixed motives. They're people that will come into your life, and they will they will give, and they will get, but their agenda may be mixed a bit along the way, and they may be good friends, but there's a mixed bag with it, and people over time can change. You can have a really good friend today, and they're not so good of a friend tomorrow. Jesus learned that lesson and, in fact, taught us that lesson in His last week of life and ministry on earth. On Palm Sunday, they welcomed Him into Jerusalem as He rides on a donkey, and they were they were declaring Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And everybody's waving palm branches, and they're celebrating Jesus. And just a few days later, the same group of people who had been saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord are now crying out, crucify him. Think about that for a moment. So your your best human friendships can be very, very fickle. The Bible is very clear about the limitations of human friendships. Notice Proverbs 20 verse 6. Many will say they're loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable?" Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 2 himself as he's describing humanity in verse 23 through 25. While Jesus was at the Passover feast, the number of his followers began to grow and many gave their allegiance to him. Notice they gave their allegiance to him because of all the miraculous signs that they had seen him doing. And so they're saying, Jesus, we're loyal to you. We want to be your friend, Jesus. But the reason they wanted to be Jesus' friend was because all the miracles he was doing. They were standing in line. For a handout. And so they were his friends. We want to be allegiant. We want to have an allegiance to you, but they had mixed motives. Notice verse 24 and 25. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew how fickle human hearts can be. He didn't need anyone to tell them about human nature, for he fully understood what man was capable of doing. There's only one true friend that will stick with you through thick and then who will be the best friend you will ever have in your life, and his name is Jesus. Proverbs 18, 24, some friendships don't last for long, but there's one loving friend who is joined to your heart closer than any other. Jesus made this declaration of friendship in John 15, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now, you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. The one friend, the one friend that you need for your future is Jesus. Don't try to go into your future without him. And don't try to go into your future putting him in second or third place in your life. To pursue your future, Jesus needs to be front and center. Your, your BFF needs to be Jesus. Amen. Your best friend of all needs to be Jesus. He needs to be your loyal friend and your loyal companion because with him, you are never alone. All the people around you can desert you. They can walk out and leave you in the midst of situations. But Jesus promised to never leave you, to never forsake you. He promised to provide you every resource that you will need. He promised to be your helper. You are never without the one who has your best in mind. He is always with you. He is indeed your best friend. But it's interesting to note that although human friendships do fail us, we're still called to develop human friends. It's interesting because, yes, Jesus needs to be our first and foremost friend, but we're also encouraged to develop real-life human friendships. It's a valuable thing for us to pursue. We need people and the right people in our lives. And David learned this lesson in his own life because God had a plan for David when he was a young man. And he, God anointed him to become the next king of Israel. But he would not yet become king as of the point that we're looking at in the story. And so God has a future in store for him. But for, for David to arrive at his future, he's going to need the right people in his life. He's not going to get there without the right people in his life. And there's a wonderful, special friend that comes along in David's life that actually propels him into his future. Let me read you the story in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. We're seeing now the entrance of a wonderful friend into David's life that will allow him to experience his full destiny. 1 Samuel 18, 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, this is, by the way, after he defeated Goliath. He just defeated Goliath. Now he's having a conversation with Saul. He's finished that conversation. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family, and Jonathan made a covenant, key word there, made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his, his, his bow and his belt. And what you see here in these four verses, you see an incredible, absolutely amazing story that unfolds in terms of a friendship in David's life. It's an amazing story. Let me help you to understand what's going on here. As I said, David had just completed the, the, the victory over Goliath, and, and Saul has now become uh, very jealous of him. The reason that Saul is jealous is because when they come back from the battle, there are ladies that are out in the street, and they're singing a song, Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his tens of thousands, and all this does is generate far more jealousy in Saul, and so Saul brings David into his kingdom, so into his, into his palace, so he can keep an eye on him because he's jealous of him. He's wondering what Saul's going to do. So he's now angry, he's jealous. But Saul also had a son, and Saul's son was named Jonathan. And Jonathan was the prince to to the throne, he was the heir to the throne, he was the prince of Israel. And so there are two reasons now that we have this situation going on in Saul's heart. Number one, he's concerned because he's afraid that David is going to become more popular than he is and perhaps take the kingdom from him. Or else, second concern is, my son is not going to make it to the throne because David will take his place. And so for two very strong reasons, Saul is feeling very jealous and concerned about David. What I want you to see here is this, although Jonathan was the earthly plan, excuse me, Jonathan was the earthly heir to the throne, God had a different plan for Jonathan's life and a different plan for David's life, and God's choice for the next king was not Jonathan, God's choice for the next king was David. Everybody with me still so far? You got 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 to understand the, the setting of this story. Now, if Saul despised David, wouldn't you think that his son would despise him as well, right? But something miraculous happens in in Jonathan. Instead of despising David, Jonathan has this great affinity for David, and he realizes that David is going to be the next king, and so he's going to do everything he can possibly do to make David king. He's going to work for the success of Saul's enemy. He's going to work for the success of his father's enemy. Why? Because he has this, this love, this commitment. God knit their hearts together and a covenant commitment of friendship. Jonathan became David's friend and because of that, he was able to now say, you know what, I'm gonna help you become the person that God wants you to be. And even though Saul, his father, was angry and jealous of David, Jonathan did not buy into that same spirit. Here's a good, good reminder. Good people can come from bad families. It was a bad family dynamic, but Jonathan was a good guy, tremendously good guy. Notice again what happens here in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, verse 4, verse 4 from the voice translation. This is what happened. Would you see the significance of this? He took off the robe he wore and gave it to David. What was his robe? It It was a princely robe. So he actually takes off his princely robe and puts it on David. He also gave him his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Notice this next statement, symbolically transferring to David, he is right to ascend the throne. Would you agree with me? That's a pretty good friend right there, amen? That's real friendship. And this is essential because David could not become the person that God wanted him to be. He could not enter into his significance without having this person in his life. Obviously, he's got to have opportunity to ascend to the throne. and, and, And Jonathan, if you will, is in the way. And Jonathan graciously backs out of the way and says, I'm here for you. God has put a friendship in my heart toward you. It's very important who you choose to partner with in life. It's very important who you choose to be friends with because your, your friends can propel you into your future or they can keep you from your future. In Proverbs 12 verse 26, we find these words, the righteous choose their friends. Note the, word, note the adverb there, how? Carefully. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 1320 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. First Corinthians 15, 13. Read this together with me aloud and loudly across our campuses this morning. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If you get in the wrong company, the character of your life is going to be adversely affected. The second thing to remember here today in this story, significance and friendship associated with significance is that friendship is a life commitment. It is not a like or a label. Jonathan's story in the Bible really, as I said, is a shining example to us. We learn lessons from it because how you handle friendships is very important. Jonathan handled his life well. He became the right kind of friend to David. And because of that, he earned a very significant place in the Bible. I want you to think about two names with me for a moment. Two J names, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Jonathan, let me give you another name, New Testament, Judas. When I mention Jonathan, you should think of a true friend. When I mention Judas, what do you think of? A betrayer someone that didn't know how to be a friend. He was in this relationship with Jesus for the wrong reasons and just with a little bit of money, that's all that it took to entice him away from his relationship with Jesus. He claimed to be a friend, but he really wasn't a true friend. And even to this day, we, we understand the difference in the character of these two individuals because lots of people will name their sons Jonathan, but I don't know anybody that names their son Judas. See, there's something lasting. Friendships matter. And true friendships aren't superficial. See, Judas had a superficial relationship with Jesus. Jonathan had a deep relationship with David. He cared about him. He was concerned about his future. He was a very real friend. A lot of us in life will have friendships that are very superficial, and God's calling us to learn something about developing friendships that go far beyond the superficial, that have a depth of commitment associated with them. Why? Because real friendship is not a like on Facebook. It's not a label that you use. I believe there's been this deterioration and this kind of watering down of even the word friend nowadays. Because when you say somebody's my friend, the natural tendency that we have as we think in terms of social media, well, they liked my page on social media. They gave me a thumbs up. Dear ones, can I just remind you today that the next time you need money, call one of your thumbs up. (laughs) And not everybody that thumbs up you is your friend. I thumb up people all the time. On 270, they let me in. I don't know them, I'm not even sure that I like them. It's a very superficial society that we live in and so we have to begin to break away from the concept that society is kind of pushing upon us of what friendship is all about. and We need to get back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about real friendship? Not, just, not what social media says or culture says about friendship, but what does the Bible say about friendship? And real friendship is a commitment. It's a commitment to demonstrate what the Bible calls agape love to people in our lives. The people that God will bring our way and connect us to in relationship. It's a God kind of love. Let me read for you about this God kind of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8. I'm reading through from the Passion Translation. I want you to listen closely to the description of the God kind of love. Love is, that's the God kind of love. The actual Greek word there is the word agape. It is associated with God. Only he has this kind of love and he calls us to express it. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. I'm going to read this passage once again, because I believe it's the heart of today's message, because if we're going to have friendships, we have to learn something about walking in the love of God. Listen to this closely one more time. Love is large. It's not small. It's large. It's magnanimous. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings comes to to someone else. That's a tough one right there, is it not? Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for love, it never gives up. Read verse 8 with me. Love never stops loving. Great friendships are built on those kind of qualities right there. They're built on a commitment to love. Real friendships are not based upon a label. Oh, yes, he's my friend. Or a like, yeah, they liked me in social media. No, it goes much deeper than that. And Jonathan and David share this commitment. This, the word that we found a moment ago that I emphasized was the word covenant. They had a covenant with one another. And that covenant was a covenant of the heart that says we're in this together and we're committed to the future that God has for both of us. Here's the third thing we're going to wrap up with today. Important lesson, to to have the right friends, here's the key, you must be the right friend. If you're going to have the right friends in your life, this is all where it starts. There's an old saying, I bet you've heard it before, birds of a feather flock together. Birds of a feather flock together. What is that, what's that adage about? What does it even mean? Well, actually that word birds of a feather flock together is, is illustrating what we often refer to as the law of attraction. Who you are attracts who will be around you. And so if you don't like your friends, the best place to look is in the mirror. If you say, I don't really like the people that are around me in my life, then the first place of inspection is not with your friends. The first place of inspection is with your own life because birds of a feather flock together. And so if you're attracting the wrong element, it means that you are attracting the wrong element. It means that there's something in your life that needs to be adjusted so that people who are the right kind of people will be attracted to your life. And so this is why we're called in our life journey with Jesus to learn and grow and change and let him work on things inside of us. It will allow us to become more like Christ because the more we become like him, the more people are attracted to the Jesus in us who are pursuing the same kind of thing in life. And so when your heart is pursuing the wrong things, don't be surprised if the wrong kind of people show up in your world. That's not always true. There's certainly uh, exceptions to that rule. But generally speaking, you're going to attract the kind of people that you are in your life. So what I want to do for the next few moments, about about 10, 12 minutes here, approximately, give or take 30 minutes. (laughs) I want to talk to you about some qualities in your life that and qualities and friendships that you don't want, okay? I know I could talk about the things that you do want, but I wanna talk about the things that you don't want. This is the kind of person you don't wanna be, and this is the kind of person you don't want hanging around with you because they will ruin your future. Your future will be ruined if you hang around with people like this and your future will be ruined or it certainly will miss all that it needs to be if you are like this in your relationships. I'm gonna give you 11 statements, 11 words here that give you characteristics of bad friendships, bad people in relationships. Number one is a gossip. You don't wanna be a gossip because if you hang around with a gossip or if you are a gossip, I'm telling you it's going to affect your destiny. The word gossip is a word that means idle talk or rumor, especially about personal or private aspects of other people's lives. Uh, A rumor is unconstrained conversation about somebody that's not in the room. It's me telling you something, did you hear about? That's usually how it starts. Oh, my goodness, let me tell you what I heard the other day about. And that person's not even around. They have no ability to correct the record. They have no ability to give their perspective on things. And so what you're doing is you're having a conversation, usually of a derogatory nature, of a a belittling nature about somebody else. And here's the thing to remember. If somebody is gossiping to you about somebody else, generally they're gossiping about you to somebody else basic principle of life but you can't you can't have confidence in a gossip you can't build a friendship on gossip one of the things I think that ruins our culture ruins our society ruins families and ruins relationships I'm telling many of you could probably even stand up and testify today that part of the problem in your office area is a bunch of gossip okay it creates all these little kind of groups and cliques and things happening, and you can't build. You don't know who you can trust because of the gossip that's going on around you. It's not a good quality. And so if you'll become the kind of person that doesn't gossip, gossipers won't come around you because they don't get a, they don't get a listening ear. Amen? If you, don't, if you don't have a listening ear, it's gossips. One of the things gossips hate is somebody that won't listen to them. They hate that, Okay? So as soon as you turn off the gossip and turn off listening, they're going to go and find somebody else. And you just got rid of somebody that could have been a bad friend. Cleaned up your life. Amen? Okay. I got, I got a one or two out there that's that getting this right now. Thank you. Okay. Some things in life are what we call N-O-Y-B. You know what that means? None of your business. The second thing, two-faced actions. What is a two-faced person? They're one thing in front of your face and another thing behind your back. So you're not ever sure the person you're talking to because you're not quite sure where they're coming from in a moment and so you see one thing when they're with you and then you find out they said something else about you behind your back. That's not a good friend. Number three, lying. You can't build a friendship with a liar. Why? Because at the core of Real friendships is something that is essential to any solid relationship. It's called T-R-U-S-T. It's called trust. And if you can't trust someone, you have to trust that they're going to tell you the truth. They're going to, you have to trust that truthfulness is a part of their nature and a part of their character. And so you can't build a solid relationship around lying. There has to be truth in the relationship. And then number four is flattery. Flattery, interesting word. Something that we do quite frequently without even realizing, it. and the Bible actually talks quite a bit in the Book of Proverbs about about flattery. What is flattery? Flattery. Listen closely. Flattery is insincere praise that I will give to a person, or you might give to a person, for the purpose of ingratiating yourself to them to get something from them. So I can just say all these nice things about you, but when I'm saying all these nice things to you and about you, it's not because I really. I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily honest about that. There's something you have that I want. And if I can butter, anybody heard the phrase, butter yourself up? Okay. If I can butter myself up with you, if I can now ingratiate this relationship so that now that I've praised you so much, you kind of have an obligation to do for me what I want you to do. And so this flattery is insincere. Actually, it's a reflection of lying. It's deception because you're doing something to get something for yourself, but you're doing it in a deceptive way. And so there's a lot of flattery that we use in life. I would would just rather a person not say anything at all than to flatter me. Just don't tell me you like me. If you don't like me, just keep your mouth shut. Just don't tell me you do if you've got an agenda in your life, right? Everybody with me today? Somebody say, it's good stuff. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor. Say, it's really good stuff. Right? Okay. Number five, disloyalty, betrayal of trust. Disloyalty, betrayal of trust. What is disloyalty? Disloyalty is really whenever you, when there's a lack of faithfulness or a lack of support in word or in action. We know it in the lesson of Judas that I mentioned a moment ago. We see it in the story of Jonathan in the positive sense. He was faithful to David. Many, many aspects of that story I can take you to that we don't have time. Would encourage you to study the life of Jonathan, an incredible friend to David. But he was faithful. In every situation, he was faithful to David. And so you and I need to learn the quality of fidelity and faithfulness in relationships. And we support our friends. Amen? We stand with our friends, why? Because that's what a friend does. A friend stands with a friend. It's been said that the definition of a friend, he or she is the person that comes in your life when everybody else walks out. And I like that. Because a friend's going to come near. In your lowest moment of life, that's when you know who your true friends are. When life is falling apart around you or mistakes have been made by you or failures have been a part of your life. Your real friends aren't going to desert you. Your real friends are going to run in to help you and to assist you. The Bible, in fact, says in Galatians chapter 6 that when someone is is, is in the midst of a fall, a spiritual fall, they miss the mark in their relationship with God, the responsibility of people who are really spiritual is to restore. And so spirituality, true spirituality is expressed in in, in the aspect not of condemnation, of people but restoration of people number six six things self-serving motives that's I'm I'm using people for my own end see people were not designed by God to be used people were designed by God to be loved so we have this mix in our culture that we we love things and use people But the mix needs to be turned around. We need to love people and use things. So it's a change of perspective, a change of our attitudes, a change of our motives. Number seven, contentiousness. What is contentiousness? It is just someone that wants to argue all the time. I mean, they walk into a room and a fight breaks out. Why? Because they carry fight around inside of them that everywhere they show up, it seems, in any relationship, you know as you see them coming anywhere near a room, here's how you know that this is the situation. You start backing away because you see something come and call trouble. So you're not attracted to them because you're, you're now already, you're already in defensive mode because there's a contentiousness in this person. You know that they are looking for a fight. As one guy said, some people are just looking for a fight. They'll fight at the drop of a hat and drop their own hat to fight. So this is the mindset that sometimes we have, and you'll never build a good solid friendship with someone if you're contentious, if you're always creating a quarrel, if you're always trying to establish a fight, and that's why Jesus said, I want you to be peacemakers, called children of God. Then number eight, unforgiveness. Holding grudges. You don't want a friend that always holds grudges because you'll you'll always there'll always be drama in the relationship. Do you know how to forgive and are you hanging out with people who know how to extend forgiveness? See forgiveness and grace. It's the lubrication of relationships. Number nine, self-centeredness and self-selfishness. That's where you're having a friend in life or someone you would call a friend and, and they know how to they know how to get, but they don't know how to give. And so you know that feeling because you always feel drained when you're around them. They don't bring anything into the relationship. Now, you and I need to minister to people who are in that state of life, but those don't need to be your best friends. If your friends that you're hanging around with always deplete you, they never add anything of value to you, that's not a friendship. That's called a ministry. Right? Did you hear me? Do I need to say that again? If the people you're hanging out with, if they're drawing stuff from you and there's never any back to you or any very limited back to you, that's not a friend. Don't think that's a friend. That is, that is either, I'll give you two things. It's either a ministry or a reflection of codependency. What are you hearing today? Man, it's quiet in this room this morning. Number 10, what is the next one? You can help me out. What is it? That's a tough one to say, isn't it? What is temperamental? What does that mean? What does it mean to be temperamental? A temperamental person is someone who's excessively sensitive. I mean, they get hurt all the time. All the time. I mean, you didn't look at me the right way when you said hi this morning. I'm hurt. I noticed that you walked past me in the hall. You didn't say what you normally say to me. It hurts so deeply. And they carry this hypersensitivity about them. It's hard to build a friendship with someone like that. Because even before they show, they might as well walk in the room with a big sign on, even before they say anything to anyone or anyone else says anything, them, they should walk in the room with a sign on that says, I'm hurt. Good. I'm hurt temperamentally, that we have these, 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 this oversensitivity that causes us to, to react to things in ways that are beyond what would be normal in the situation, okay? Number 11, spiritual, emotional, and relational immaturity. Let me talk about especially the emotional immaturity just for a moment. We're going to wrap up here with one last verse, and we'll be done today. Would you agree the ones we've talked about, not good friendships, right? Right, not who we want to be, not the kind of people we want to attract, and this emotional maturity is an important part as well because emotional maturity has to do with two, two basic things. If you study the the concept of emotional maturity, people who mature emotionally have at least these two characteristics. There are other things associated with it, but at least these two characteristics of emotionally mature people: number one, they know how to control their emotions. Okay, they don't their emotions don't take them and hijack them and run them off the track. Okay. They know that if I'm getting angry, I can, I can gear myself down. If I'm feeling certain things, I can rein my emotions in. And So emotional maturity, if you study any concepts of emotional maturity, it always includes the ability to control your emotions, okay? Uh, what do you think of when you see a little child and they get angry, they throw a temper tantrum, right? Okay, you know, there's still a lot of adults doing that same kind of thing, just in different ways. They don't know how to control those feelings in their life. The second aspect of the emotional material that I'll mention here is the ability to take responsibility for your actions and your, your, your life, your attitudes, your, at, your attitudes, and your actions. As you realize that I have to, when I mess up, when I make mistakes in my life, or what decisions I make is not somebody else's fault, it's, it's my choice, right? And so emotionally immature people want to put all the blame on other people, and they want to describe their situation as something that's been caused by something outside of themselves so they can deflect all the responsibility, okay? I don't have to own this because they did that to me, or this set me up for that, or whatever it might be. And so you know that you're maturing emotionally when you begin to be able to better handle your emotions. Nobody's perfect at that. We're all growing into maturity, but we're growing over time into that, and we know how to take responsibility for our behavior, that when we mess up, we're able to say, I messed up. That when I do hurt somebody's feelings, I'm able to go to them and say, I want you to know that I recognize that I am responsible for that. I'm sorry that I said that. I'm sorry that I did that. Would you please forgive me? That's called taking responsibility. It's called owning it. And mature people do that. And so what you want to do is hang out with people that know how to have a dimension of emotional maturity. That is, they know how to control their emotions well, at least they're learning how and they're also, know how to take responsibility. I want to show you one last thing as we're, we're about done here today. Not only, would you agree that Jonathan was a good friend to David? Yes. Right? Guess who we're talking about today? Jonathan's a good friend to David. We don't see any of these characteristics in Jonathan. But not only was Jonathan a good friend to David, David was a good friend to Jonathan. It was a mutual friendship. It was not just a one-way thing even though Jonathan laid down his princely garbs and gave them to David, David had a commitment to Jonathan as well. They made a covenant together. I'm going to show you this in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9, verse number 1. Notice what happens here. This is many years later. By the time we get to this verse, Jonathan is dead. Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead. So he's been dead for a number of years now, but I want you to notice what happens. I want you to see the heart of David here because it's a mutual friendship they share. So David is sitting around his palace in Jerusalem and he calls his servants in. he, He asks them a question. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul, read the rest with me, to whom I can show kindness for... Jonathan's sake. Years later, we don't know how many years later, but many years later, David is still thinking about his friend, Jonathan. Many years later, he's still thinking about the fact, you know, Jonathan is gone, he's dead now, but we had a covenant, we had a friendship, and I committed to him that, that that I would make sure and take care of his family, and I'm just thinking, is there anything that I've missed in my obligation to my friend, and he calls his servants and says, is there anybody still left of the house of Saul, that is Jonathan's family, the, the house of Saul, the heir to the throne, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul, Jonathan's family, that I Can show kindness to because of my friend Jonathan. There's an amazing story that unfolds there. I'm going to take you through in a few weeks here as we study this part of that passage. And, And the servant said, well, you know, there is one. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is living down in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar means a place of pastureless land, a barren place. And he's crippled in both feet. And I'll tell you that story more later. You know what David did? I hate to preach this sermon to you now, but you need this information because I'm going to go into depth about it later on. It's an amazing story of grace. David said, you go get Mephibosheth and you bring him to my palace. I'm going to give him all the land his grandfather had and I'm going to let him eat at my table every day. Why? Because I had a friendship with Jonathan. So you never know where your friendships will take you. For the worst... And for the best, friendships matter. If you're going to experience significance in life, you need to surround yourself with the right people. And I'll say this. The right place to find the right people is in the house of God. Let me quickly add, not every person in the house of God is the right person. Because we're not a, we're, this, the church is not a perfect place. So even in church, be careful. <laughs> Amen? Yes. Are you hearing me? Because the church is not a museum for saints. The museum is a hospital for sinners. Okay? And so we learn to build relationships with people that will help us and that we can help them reach their best and reach the significant life that God called them to live. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity. We thank you that we have the privilege of studying your word today. We're grateful for it. And I pray this morning that you'll take this message and, Lord, somehow let it filter through our thinking and our choices, our decisions, our own character, Father, and help us to become the person that you really want us to be and to attract the friends that you want us to attract. Thank you, Lord, that you have people in our lives, people that you have in our lives right now and people that you'll place in our lives in the future that will be key to our significance and will be key to their significance. And God, we ask you to guide us to those. Help us to grow so we'll be attractive to those people and those to us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.